Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome back to another edition of our podcast series. We get together here each week to discuss a variety of legal topics and always try to do our best to keep it casual yet informative so that you can uh, follow along conversation and maybe uh, pick up a few pointers and bits of information that can be of value to you going forward with your uh, individual needs or uh, professional needs. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, glad to have you back with us. Um, now, today we've got a great discussion lined up. I'm going to be joined by uh, Attorney Matthew Sheehan of Lavelle Law Limited. Matt has been with us a number of times before, and he's kind of taken a little time out of his schedule today at court to join us and have a quick discussion, and Matt is on the line. So first of all, Matthew, thanks for making the time today. Thanks a lot, Jim. Um, now, I think, uh, I think listeners are going to enjoy the topic today because it's a great example of, you know, I'll, I'll certainly selfishly point out what I think is the demonstrates the value of the podcast is we're going to take a few topics that we've talked about independently in the past, bring them together for a more specific discussion. And those areas are uh, temporary restraining orders, which we've talked about uh, in previous discussions, and employee agreements. And uh, today Matt's going to talk to us about the specific scenario in which a, uh, a temporary restraining order, or TRO, might be needed by an employer who feels that uh, a previous employee has breached a, uh, a agreement that they had had regarding future employment. So we're going to kind of tie those themes together and, uh, and get a better look at uh, some of the steps that might be involved if that becomes necessary. So, Matt, before we do that, can you just give us a real quick refresher on the basics of uh, temporary restraining orders and how they work? Yeah, the TRO is uh, is a injunctive relief, obviously. It's, it's as opposed to monetary relief, you're asking the court to uh, give non-monetary relief, and generally uh, in a TRO you're asking the court to stop somebody from doing something. Um, you know, they, they actually are very front-loaded type of actions as opposed to a traditional lawsuit where you kind of file it, serve the other party, and they have 30 days to respond. In a TRO, it's usually an emergency situation where you have an employee breaching the term of the agreement and you want to get immediate relief to stop the breach from continuing. Um, so you go with a complaint and a brief and you file it, and literally the next day you'll have a hearing on that TRO and the court will either grant it or deny it. And then within 10 days you'll actually have an evidentiary hearing um, to determine whether the TRO is proper uh, and, and the court will actually hear witnesses at the evidentiary hearing. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, how those get implemented relative to our uh, uh, topic today, which are employee agreements. Now, when we talk about an employee agreement, uh, what are some of the terms that might normally be included in one of those? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on what type of business you're in, obviously. Um, but, for example, we have uh, a lot of uh, medical uh, companies in, in our clientele, um, and so it gets into kind of what their duties are under certain medical statutes. Um, it, it may talk about uh, certainly confidentiality of information. Uh, that would be common in almost any any business agreement. Uh, certainly you don't want your customer list, your trade secrets to be divulged to outside parties. Those are valuable to a company, so you can put those type of restrictions in, a, in an employment agreement. 
and any kind of you know how they use your computers, um, how they contact customers. Uh, you can actually put in clauses about what would occur if they breach the agreement. You can spell out uh, what kind of uh, injunctive relief you will get. And if it's difficult to ascertain what the damages are for a breach of the agreement, you can also include a liquidated damages clause uh, in there. So if, if you prove breach, you've got a contractual ability to, to obtain a certain amount of money without having to go through and actually prove up specific damages. Uh, but I would say probably the two most common type of clauses that we we generally put in there for our employers are what are called non-solicitation provisions and also non-compete provisions. Okay, and those generally would <clears throat> indicate that if an employee leaves the organization, they would then be limited, restricted, or even prevented from operating in a similar business within, I guess, sometimes a, a certain geography or a certain time period? Correct. Like uh, for the non-solicit, you may not want them to try and take other employees over to a competitor. Uh, you certainly probably won't want them to take customers, although that ultimately is probably up to the customer itself if they want to travel with, uh, to, to a new um, company that your employee left to because they like that particular employee. Um, again, that's usually kind of found out on the back end, but uh, that will be the employee's kind of story. But uh, the non-compete, you certainly don't want them to work for a competitor. Um, and, and it's got to be... Uh, Pretty well restricted, both on time limitations. So, you know, generally, if you have if you restrict them for six months or a year or even up to two years, the case law has shown that those are, are pretty enforceable. Um, but if you if you're going outside of two years, up to three, four, five years, the court is probably not going to you know uh, uh, enforce that type of provision. As well as geographical restrictions, you can't just tell you know prevent someone from working anywhere in the state of Illinois. It's got to be um, maybe like a 25-mile radius, so it's, it's got some kind of relationship to the business and, and its location. Okay, and that, you mentioned something there that I jotted down here as a follow-up question, which is uh, as you're preparing one of these documents, I assume that uh, you, know, you really want to make sure that what you're putting in is, is enforceable, uh, that there's no use in having a document that is, is too broad or, or doesn't really provide um, you know, items that could could really be held up in in court. You've got to be smart about how you write these documents. Correct. We try to, you know, we try to write them um, within the confines of of you know current case law and and what the judges have been uh, interpreting. However, if you do have, for example, let's say you have a, one that covers the whole state of Illinois and it goes for five years, there is what we call the blue pencil of of the court, and the court may still enforce the agreement, but essentially rewrite it to what they believe is a reasonable restriction. So they may cut down the whole state of Illinois to, to a geographical radius 20 miles around the main office, and they may cut down a five-year five, five non-compete down to a year or two uh, based on what the court believes is reasonable. Okay. So let, let's talk about the instance here now in which an employer feels that uh, a contract they had has been breached. Um, what are the steps that they should be taking, and, and how does that TRO play into that then? Well, certainly if, if you know that uh, an employee is, is um, let's say they have a non-solicit and a non-compete and they go immediately to a competitor and you, and you have evidence of that, the biggest part is trying to compile the evidence so you have um, demonstrable evidence to show to the court when you go uh, in, into court and ask for a TRO. Um, you know, you can't just have a pleading. You have to have an affidavit from someone with personal knowledge that this person is, you know, that the former employee has, is working for a competitor. 
uh, either you know an eyewitness um, uh, is always the best occasion, um, but you can get affidavits from other people that have certainly seen that. Uh, particular former employee and where they're working and what they're doing. Uh, and also the non-solicit, if they're, you know, you may have uh, employees that were contacted by the former employee to try and get them to move over a competitor. I've gotten affidavits from those types of employees to say, yes, this former employee contacted me on this date, asked me to go to this competitor, and um, that certainly helps. You have to have, unlike a normal lawsuit, you've got to have evidence at the very beginning so the court can determine from the affidavits and from the brief that there is a breach and uh, they will rule and they will grant a TRO based on affidavits alone um, and that is why the TRO is exactly what it sounds like. It's temporary mm-hmm. and that's why the, there is a mechanism in place. So if the former employee, uh, possibly the, the new company they're working for, want to contest it, um, after the court grants it for you, um, you know they can have an evidentiary hearing, and, and you put the witnesses on the stand, and everyone's allowed to cross-examine and, and see what really happens. Okay, we're we're visiting with Lavelle Law Attorney Matthew Sheehan on the podcast today, and uh, Matt was designated as an Illinois Super Lawyer in, in 2012 by Super Lawyer Magazine, and in recognition for his achievement in the, in the practice, he serves as a partner at the firm, and uh, we're talking about uh, temporary restraining orders and in light of. Uh, potential breaches of employee agreements. Um, Matt, do you find that a, a restraining order is, is sort of a first cause of action if, if an employer feels that there's been a breach? Are there other uh, steps they should take first, or if they think they've got pretty good evidence, should they move quickly with a, with a TRO? It really depends on what we think is going on. You know, if this employee has left uh, and went directly to work for a competitor, and they're literally taking customers with them. Um, that's something that you know most companies can't just sit back and go a traditional lawsuit because by the time they get to trial, the damage will have already been done. They will have lost, you know, maybe half their customers. So once they see the damage happening, uh, that's the whole purpose behind a TRO. That there's there's um, harm being uh, acted upon at the present time that that type of wrongful conduct is you know ongoing and without the court stepping in there's nothing that's going to stop this former employee from breaching the agreement um of course you know going it's always as in any kind of business case there's always a cost benefit analysis and it just really depends on what type of harm is being conducted by this former employee and whether it's worth uh, putting together the front-loaded kind of complaint with the TRO and the attendant affidavits and evidence uh, that is uh, certainly, uh, at, at the beginning, a more expensive proposition than just filing a traditional lawsuit, uh, which, you know, ultimately they may end up costing about the same, uh, but certainly to get a TRO, there's a lot of front-loaded work uh, that needs to be done, so uh, it's more expensive at, at the beginning. And, and I go through that with, with every client and try to determine what's the best course for them, um, you know, whether a traditional lawsuit is going to give them the type of relief that they need or whether the, the, the wrongful conduct is causing such harm on a daily basis that it needs to be addressed immediately. And then would, would a temporary restraining order simply cause the, the former employee to have to stop what they're doing or would there be some sort of damages that might be associated with that or would they have to come later in, in the process? Generally, the TRO uh, and any injunction has nothing to do with money damages. Of course, in almost every lawsuit, there are, there are always going to be some attendant um, 
monetary damages, but that will be taken care of at the end. So, for example, if you when you file a TRO, you file a traditional complaint as well. So you're going to file breach of contract, you're going to file possibly breach of fiduciary duty, those type of counts uh, that actually get into money damages, but those will not be dealt with uh, at the beginning of the lawsuit where the TRO and injunction is, is dealt with. That There the court is only determining whether or not it needs to put a stop and order ordering the former employee to stop competing, to stop soliciting, uh, and that is all non-monetary relief. The idea is to preserve the status quo while the rest of the case, the money damages, goes forth. So um, if you have a six-month non-compete and you go in in the first couple weeks and get a TRO, and, and sometimes they, you know, you might resolve the injunctive relief for the remainder of the case, uh, or you'll go to the evidentiary hearing. If the court does grant the injunction, then the injunction will stay in place until the conclusion of the litigation and money damages are awarded or denied. But uh, while the course, you know, while the case is pending, the TRO preserves the status quo and, and prevents essentially that that employee from working for that competitor. And, and I've had results like that uh, earlier this year. And essentially, you know, the, the court orders that person to stop working. Uh, the person has to stay at home, can't contact any of its customers, uh, former customers, can't t contact any former employees, and literally cannot go to work. Um, so it's obviously a, a big burden on that former employee, but, you know, that's the price they pay for breaching the contract. And we've got just about 30 seconds left, but I think I heard you say earlier, and I wanted to get confirmation, that, you know, you just mentioned the employee may be forced to sit on the sidelines, but if the new employer... Um, feels that they're being harmed in some way by that employee being out. Can, can they contest or be involved in this, or is it strictly between the former employer and employee? They certainly can, especially if we think that if the new employer knew about the, the existing contract, uh, they're frequently named. Um, but there's also a, a bond that is so. If you get a TRO, you have to post a bond that acts as the defendant's protect, protection. If at the at the end of the merits of the case, it's found that the TRO was improper, they can get recover uh, their monetary damages from the bond company. Okay. Well, we've certainly uh, done our best to fill uh, our 15-minute time slot here. As always, I appreciate Matt taking the time to join us. Uh, we got just as much in as we could, but there's always more to cover. So we invite you to be with us every Tuesday uh, as we get together for our podcast discussions here on Chicago's Legal Latte. We've got uh, we're going to stay on the business theme next week as uh, Jim Voigt joins me. We'll have a discussion on corporate structure, specifically look at some of the truths or myths. Uh, about regarding your business in a state such as Delaware that uh, tends to offer some sort of additional corporate relief. Should be a great discussion. Hope you'll join us for that, and thanks very much for listening.